Good morning. I invite you guys to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll be finishing up the second chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. Again, if you have your Bibles or if you want to grab a Bible from the seat in front of you, if you go to the middle of your Bible, you turn it, you'll probably end up in Proverbs or Psalms. Uh, and just flip a couple books over. It goes Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes is right after those two books. Uh, and you can find it, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 18, is where we're going to be this morning. We're continuing looking at and uh, following along Solomon's journey as he's looking for meaning, purpose, and value in life, right? And so far, it's been a little depressing because he's been looking at uh, all of the things we can do in life, all of the things that we can learn, and he's looking at all these things and, say, and finding out that they're empty, that there is no lasting meaning, purpose, and value in these things. Well, this morning uh, is kind of the culmination of a lot of this, uh, this study for Solomon. This, uh, he comes to this kind of uh, epitome, this, this big moment, big light bulb moment uh, this morning. And so this morning is, is still partially depressing, but it's also partially hopeful. <laughs> In the morning, uh, Solomon does actually give a, a, a bit of a, a, an upbeat uh, point kind of at the end of this, uh, this part of the chapter two. And uh, in fact, this morning, the eternal perspective, if, if you've been uh, with us for uh, up to this point in Ecclesiastes, we've been looking at, at Solomon's under the sun perspective, his, his journey in looking at life to try to find meaning, purpose, and value. Uh, he's been looking under the sun. So we've, been ha- we've had this under the sun perspective, and we've been following it up with an eternal perspective, adding God back into the equation, right? Trying to, trying to, to see that there's more than just this world. And so where is their meaning, purpose, and value beyond this world, this eternal perspective? But this morning, the eternal perspective actually comes from Solomon. Uh, so Ecclesiastes 2 gives us both the under-the-sun perspective and the eternal perspective. And that's what we're going to see this morning, Ecclesiastes 2, beginning in verse 18. Uh, it does begin on a bit of a down note, though. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18. I hated all the toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master for all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils under the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Let me pray for us. We'll get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are a source of joy for us. You are the source of joy for us, and God, that your word reveals this to us, and and because we get to spend time in your word learning more about you, discovering more about you, God, we can grow in our joy in you. And Father, I pray that that's what we would do this morning. 
God, that our time in the word would grow our joy in you, God, that you would grow our vision of you, our understanding of you, God, that you would grow our view of you this morning so that we can find greater joy and greater satisfaction and greater peace in you, God, that the gospel would become foremost and paramount in our minds and in our lives, God, that you would change everything about us, God. I pray that because of your word this morning, you would shape and mold us and grow us in the image of Jesus, God. We would leave here better than when we came because we spent time in your word. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray uh, in the precious holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. A place that I spent a lot of time as a kid growing up was Chuck E. Cheese. Now, they still exist. I don't, know if you didn't, I don't know if you knew that or not. I found out recently that they managed to survive bankruptcy and the pandemic despite being disease-ridden death traps, right? Like, this, like I, I, <laughs> we, we went there all the time. I, I'm a bit of a, a germaphobe now, but apparently that came on later in life because I was able to run around and play and, and touch the games and then eat pizza after touching games that have been touched by thousands of kids, right? Just nasty <laughs> places, but went there a lot, right? Enjoyed our, uh, my time at, at Chuck E. Cheese growing up. That was the grandparents would always take us if they, if they were in town, and uh, we'd grow a lot of, go a lot as a kid. And, and it was always my mission when I went to Chuck E. Cheese to get as many tickets as I could, right? Uh, just for those of you who may not know, you used to get paper tickets at Chuck E. Cheese. When you would, when you would go, you'd play games, you'd get paper tickets out, and then you could redeem those tickets for prizes um, that were not worth a whole lot, but you could redeem the tickets for prizes at the, at the stand in Chuck E. Cheese. And so what I would do is I would get a bunch of tickets, try to get as many as I could, and then I would take a, a small portion of those tickets usually, and I would go up to the counter and I'd buy a small item, like one of those little rubber poppers, you know, that you invert and then you put on a surface and it pops up. Um, or one of those sticky hands, you know, that you sling and always end up on a ceiling or a window for way too long. Uh, like I would use a small number of tickets and buy one of those. And then I would g- take the rest of my tickets and I'd take them home. And I would save them up all collectively to go buy one of the big ticket items, right? One of the big items. And so my family amassed a large number of Chuck E. Cheese tickets in mason jars tucked away in a back corner of our house somewhere, right? Like we just had this huge number of Chuck E. Cheese tickets and tokens just hidden away somewhere. And that represented all of my labor, right? All of my work that I put in at Chuck E. Cheese was amassed in these mason jars in the back corner of the house. And you know what I got for all of my labor? Nothing. Nothing. We never cashed them in. Like, I think we threw them away in one spring cleaning. Like, we, we, I, I'd gotten nothing for all of the work that I put in, all of the effort that I put in to get these tickets. I ended up with nothing, right? None of the fruit of my labor. But you know what? That's life, right? <laughs> that is life. We work really hard, right? You, you work hard. You earn money at your job. You put that money away. And, and with a combination of wise financial decisions and longevity, you hope to enjoy that money. You hope to enjoy the reward of your work, whether through vacations or buying nice things or, or retirement. Like you hope to enjoy the reward for the work that you, that you put in. But for most people, the money that you've saved up and invested and put away, a lot of that money will end up going to somebody else who didn't work for it and didn't put effort in at all. 
right? Someone who did not deserve it gets the reward that you earned, right? And, and so when we do the math, we start compiling it. And when we start seeing inheritances given away to people who did not earn it, people who did not, uh, who did not work for it, like what ends up happening is you end up giving away your reward for the work that you did to people who didn't work for it. And you start doing the math and there's this mismatch, this, this imbalance between the work that you do and the reward that you get. Right? You, ha- you still have to do the full work, but you don't get the full reward. Right? You end up giving some of it away. You end up not enjoying it. You end up uh, passing it along to people who did not work for it. You do all of the work, but you don't get the full reward. And there's this mismatch. There's an injustice and this imbalance between the work that you put in, the effort that you expend, and the reward that you get. A- and Solomon recognizes this mismatch. He recognizes this imbalance, and he is infuriated at it. And so this passage in Ecclesiastes 2, at the end of it, he's, he's helping us work through this imbalance, this mismatch. What do we do with the fact that we put in all of this work and all of this labor, and someone else is going to reap the benefits? What do we do with the fact that we put, up, we put away money, we try to be wise, we try to be financially uh, helpful and secure and stable, but, but the reward for all of our effort and work, a lot of it goes to somebody else. <laughs> what do we do with that? What do we do with that information? Well, we'll see this morning in Ecclesiastes 2. This is Solomon's conclusion. Enjoy the fruit of your labor, but find eternal enjoyment in the Lord. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy the reward that you get for hard work, but find your eternal enjoyment in the Lord. Like I said earlier, Solomon actually gives us the eternal perspective this morning. But before we can get to that eternal perspective, he he gives us these two observations that he has found in his search for meaning, purpose, and value under the sun. And here's the, the uh, the, the, the first observation he makes. The fruit of your labor will go to somebody else. The fruit of your labor will probably go to somebody else. Verse 18. Listen to Solomon's lament. I hated all the toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So Solomon is lamenting the fact that he has built this beautiful, thriving kingdom. And there's going to come a day where he's going to have to hand it to somebody else. Somebody who didn't work for it. Somebody who didn't put the effort in. Someone who didn't do what he did. The, the many sleepless nights and the, and the tense meetings and the difficult decisions. Someone who didn't put any of that work and effort in. Somebody who didn't go uh, put the, the wisdom and, the, and the, the knowledge and the understanding that he put into it. Someone is going to come after him and they're going to take the helm of the kingdom and they're going to be able to, to lead it however they want to, to reap the benefits of all of Solomon, Solomon's hard work and they didn't work for it. And to make matters worse, like Solomon gets no say in how good that king is going to be. Right? Solomon gets no say in how that guy is going to lead his kingdom. 
eventually somebody someday is going to take over Solomon's kingdom. Someone's going to, to inhabit his houses. Someone's going to walk in his gardens. Somebody's going to wear his clothes. Someone's going to spend his gold and silver. And Solomon gets absolutely no say in how they spend the benefits and the rewards for his work. And he's looking at that, and he's like, I hate my work. Like, I hate that I have to do all of this labor and all of this work, and I don't have any say in what happens to it one day. The, the reward for all of my labor goes to somebody else, and they're going to get to enjoy it. Uh, in 2020, Bob Iger stepped down as CEO of Disney. Uh, after uh, He'd been there for a little over fi- uh, almost 15 years, and he was arguably one of the best CEOs in the last few decades. Uh, because in his time at Disney, in the almost 15 years there, he grew Disney from a $50 billion company to a $250 billion company. That is astounding growth in almost 15 years. And on top of that, he helped to kind of mold and shape Disney into what we think of it today, what we know of it today. He helped to lead some of the, the mergers and acquisitions, and, and he led the, the buying of Pixar, uh, the, the buying of Marvel, the buying of Lucasfilms. So, so, so uh, under his leadership, Disney grew immensely. He put a lot of hard work and effort into his leadership, and in 2020, he finally stepped down, and he handed it off to somebody else, and that guy did such a poor job that he was fired after two years, and the board called Bob Iger back out of retirement and said, hey, can you come back for a short-term basis and right the ship? Right? Solomon's point is that eventually, Bob Iger's not going to be around to save the company, and somebody's going to have to take over, right? Someone's going to take the helm. And Bob Iger is going to have no say in what they do with the company. So the company that he has spent his entire life growing and serving, the company that he, has, that he helped shape from a $50 billion company to a $250 billion company with his wisdom and leadership, that company, he has no say in whether it's going to succeed and thrive in the future. And, and after all this hard work, and coming out of retirement and trying to ride the ship, he has no guarantee at all that the company is going to succeed or thrive after he's gone. Wh- where is the reward for all of the work that Iger put in? Right? Where is the fruit of all of his labors? He's like Solomon lamenting the fact that, that someone's going to take over and benefit from what he's built, and he has no say in what's going to happen with it. I think about the fruit of your labor. Think about the reward that you get. You work hard. And then you get a paycheck for your work. And unless you're somebody that immediately spends every dime that comes into your bank account, which we should probably talk about, <laughs> like financial management, if that is the case. But unless you're, you're somebody who just immediately spends everything, you're probably saving some and investing some, putting some away. A- and the hope is with, with good financial management, you'll be able to, to enjoy uh, the, the reward. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. You'll be able to retire. You'll be able to, to go on vacations. You'll be able to buy nice things. And, and you're hoping to enjoy some of the fruit of your labor. But again, as I already mentioned, uh, for most people, uh, if they're financially wise and they're, they, they, they end up uh, accumulating the money, a lot of times their, the fruit of their labor, the reward that they got for all those years of hard work, goes on to their kids or their grandkids. Right? And somebody else gets all of the reward for the work that you put in. And as nice as it is to, to leave some wealth along for your family, as, as great as that is, where is the justice in that? Right? Where is the, where's the justice for us as you're looking at, at all of the work that you put in? You're not going to get 100% of the reward for the effort you put in. You're not going to get out of it what you put in. 
and someone else is going to benefit who didn't work for it, who didn't toil for it. Where's the justice in that? This is Solomon's second observation. God gives you the freedom to enjoy your labor and its fruit. God actually gives you the ability to enjoy the fruit of your labor and to enjoy the work itself. Look at me in verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? I've mentioned this a couple times in this series, but I want to mention it again. God is not a cosmic killjoy, right? We think uh, it's a lot of times we, we, we've, we have grown up thinking about God as this rule maker, this guy who, who boxes us in, who keeps us from, from fun things, who keeps us from, from happiness and joy. And, but that's not God at all. Right? God is not a cosmic killjoy. The reason that you can enjoy things in life is because God invented enjoyment, right? He made it. <laughs> He has given you the ability and the freedom to enjoy the things in this world, to enjoy life, to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Solomon's suggestion here, what he's suggesting is that it's okay to enjoy the fruit of your labor. It's okay to enjoy the reward that you get for hard work. It's okay to, to go on a trip or to, to buy nice things or to, to go uh, eat, a, eat, a, eat a good meal. It's okay to do those things. I want to remind you that we're still in the under the sun perspective and Solomon and the rest of scripture is going to have more to say about how we spend our money and how we think about those things. But, but at the end of the day, Solomon's point here is that God has given you the freedom and the ability to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with that. It is a gift of God from him to you to enjoy the reward that you get from hard work and not just enjoying the hard work. Notice what he says in verse 24. Or excuse me, not just enjoying the, the fruit of it. Notice what he says in 24. There's nothing better that a person should eat or drink, meaning there's nothing better that a person consume the fruit of his labor, that they consume the reward, that they, that they take advantage of it and enjoy it. But notice what he says, and find enjoyment in his toil. Not only has God given you the ability to enjoy the fruit of your labor, the, the reward that you get for hard work, but he's also given you the ability to enjoy the work itself. That doesn't mean that we're going to love everything about our jobs. Like some of you, there are parts of your jobs that you absolutely cannot stand. Right? And some of you are not in your dream job. And so most of your job you absolutely cannot stand. But the fact remains that God has given us the freedom and the ability to find enjoyment in the, in the work that we do. To find enjoyment in, in making beautiful things or, or in doing good work and helping people and, and advancing the organization and advancing a company. Like, like God has given us the ability to just in, find enjoyment in the things that we do. And, and the hard work and the labor that we do. It's not that we, that we put in toil that is 100% horrible and then we get some reward later that we enjoy. Right? God has given us the freedom and ability to actually enjoy some of the things that we do and then to go enjoy the fruit of that labor later. And so Solomon's point here is it's okay to enjoy the fruit of your labor, and it's okay to enjoy your work. Find something you love to do and do it. Or if you don't love what you're doing, find something that you love within what you're doing. Find something that you can love in the work that you're doing and enjoy it. And then when you get rewarded, when you get the fruit of your labor, enjoy the fruit. Enjoy the reward. 
It is a gift of God to you. It is from the Lord that you have the ability at all to enjoy the work and to enjoy the fruit. And so God's not opposed to you enjoying it. He has given you the freedom and ability to enjoy it. Now, this line of thinking is good, right? It's biblical. It's what Solomon's pointing out. But it can also lead us to, uh, to this very selfish way of living, where, where our whole life goal is, is it all becomes about trying to get what's ours. It all becomes try, about trying to, to, to enjoy our work, to enjoy the fruit, and, and to use all of what we get for ourselves, right? Like it becomes all this selfish game of trying to trying to, to use everything we can for our own enjoyment and our own benefit. It is the, the CNBC uh, uh, prime slogan, like get yours, right? Like this, is the, this is the perspective of you can't take it with you, so you might as well use it all. It becomes a very it can become a very selfish mentality that says all my life is about is about enjoying the reward of my work. It's about putting it all to my benefit and to my use. And so Solomon, what he does here. Is he, not, he doesn't just give us that perspective and say, run with this, right? You spend all your money on yourself, enjoy yourself, have a good time. That's God's gift to you. That, doesn't, that isn't how he leaves it. What Solomon does is he has already told us that the source of our enjoyment comes from God. That God is the reason that we can enjoy things to begin with. And, and Solomon gives us the eternal perspective by fleshing out uh, that idea a little bit more. And here's the eternal perspective that kind of creates the, the guardrails for our understanding. It creates how we, should, how we should think about this, how we should move forward. Uh, this is what Solomon says in, uh, in his eternal perspectives. Complete enjoyment comes from a relationship with God. You can find enjoyment in your work. You can find enjoyment in life, in the fruit of your labor, and buying nice things and going on vacations and eating good meals, you can find enjoyment in those things, and it's fine if you do. It's good if you do. But complete enjoyment comes from a relationship with the Lord. Look with me in verse 26. To the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Solomon's point is the one who pleases God, right, the one who has a relationship with God and is walking in that relationship, the one who is pleasing to the Lord receives wisdom and knowledge and joy. The one who has a relationship with God receives the, the fullness of joy, the completion of joy. Jesus has already said, and, and John, that he came to give us the completeness of joy, that our joy may be complete. John mentions this again in 1 John, that he has come so that our joy may be complete. God has, gives us the fullness of joy when we have a relationship with him. The, the joy that we get from work, the joy that we can get from the, the reward from our labor, that is a taste of the joy that comes from a relationship with the Lord. That is a gift of God to us to give us a taste of the enjoyment that comes from a relationship with him. And so we get that little taste, and it should point us to the fact that those who have a relationship with the Lord, those who are pleasing to God, receive joy from him, complete and full joy. And this is joy that isn't just experienced today. It's joy that will be experienced in his eternal kingdom forever. It is the lasting, complete, 100% full joy. 
But notice on the other side. To the one who is pleasing to God, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to be given, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity, striving after the wind. Solomon's point is the one who does not have a relationship with the Lord. The sinner, the rebel against God, this person, the best that's going to happen to them is that they get a little taste of joy in their work and in the reward for their, their work. They get a little taste of joy, but that is all that they can hope for. Because the Bible tells us that, that those who, who are in rebellion against God, those who reject him, those who are, are separating themselves from him and do not have a relationship with him, when they die, they will spend forever separated from God in hell. And so the best that a sinner can hope for, the best that a rebel against God can hope for is the little taste of joy that God gives us in our work and in the reward for our work. We get that little glimpse, but that is the best that they can hope for because that that joy will stop when they die. There will be no more taste of it anymore because they will be separated from God forever. And all that they built, the wealth that they've amassed, the things that gave them joy in this life, all of those things that they've built up will be passed on to somebody else. They will no longer experience joy from those things. And here's the horrible news. We are all in that camp. We are all in the camp of people who are sinners against God, who are rebels against him, who have separated ourselves from God. Romans tells us, this is a quote from Psalms, but but it tells us that there are none who are righteous, not even one. Which means there is not a single one of us who pleases God by our actions. There's not a single one of us who can be called pleasing to God by the way that we live, by the way that we act, because we've all chosen to rebel against God, to sin against him, and we have all chosen to separate ourselves from him, to reject his rule and his authority. So we are all the sinners in Ecclesiastes 2. And so for us, the best that we should hope for is to find some joy in life, to to live it up, to, to, earn, to get the, the best reward that we can for our work and to enjoy it because, because that all comes to an end when we die. But thankfully, God loves us enough to, to, to want to pour out his joy upon us. Despite the fact that we've rebelled against him, despite the fact that we have rejected him, God wants to pour out his joy upon us. He wants us to experience the knowledge and wisdom and joy that he provides to those of the relationship with him. And so what he did is he gave his son Jesus to die on a cross for you and me, to give us the forgiveness of our sins. And he rose again from the grave so that we could be declared righteous, justified, and pleasing to God through faith in Jesus. Because of the work Jesus did on the cross from rising again from the grave, we can have eternal life and we can be declared pleasing to the Lord. And we can have our relationship with the Lord restored and can once again experience the joy that comes from God. The complete fulfillment of that joy. Again, that's why Jesus says in John, I have come that your joy may be complete. Sure, you can find joy in your work. Sure, you can find joy in the reward for a good uh, a job well done, but God wants you to experience the fullness of joy. And that can only come with a relationship with him. And Jesus died and rose again so that you could have that relationship, so that you could have that peace and that you can be declared pleasing to God and all it takes is faith in him. 
And for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, who have been declared righteous and pleasing to God, what this means for us is that where we will find the most joy is when we are working out that faith, right? When we are living out the faith that we have in Jesus. Because where we're going to have the most joy is when we are living in a way that is pleasing to God, when we are living in a way that lifts up and glorifies and praises God with what we do and who we are. What that means for us is that we have this balance between trying to, uh, to enjoy the things that God has given us and also trying to use our resources in a way that glorifies God and praises him. Jesus talks about wealth a lot in the Gospels. He talks about the reward for our work a lot in the Gospels. And what he, the, the, the perspective that he gives us in the Gospels is that we as Christians need to look at what we have, 100% of it, and decide that it needs to be used for the glory of God and for his kingdom. Not 10% of it, not 50% of it, but 100% of what we have, we owe to the Lord, and we should use for, for, the, for his kingdom. We should use it in a way that brings him glory and honor and praise. And where we're going to have the most joy is when we are working in a way and, and, and enjoying the reward of our labor in a way that brings him glory and praise. That is where we're going to have the most joy. Now, there are these two extremes we have to watch out for. There are going to be pastors who will, who will paint the image that we all need to be poor, right? where we need to, to give away everything that we have, and they'll make, they'll make you feel bad for, for buying a nice house or buying a nice car or a boat or a TV. They'll make you feel bad for buying nice things for yourself and, and, and say you need to use 100% of what you have for the glory of God, which means you need to be poor and impoverished, give away 90% of what you, what you receive, and don't buy anything nice for yourself. Don't get anything of this world because it's, you can't take it with you. And so use it all uh, in a way that expands the kingdom. Give it all to expand the church. Give it all to expand the, the gospel to other nations. Give it all to help people in need. And 100% of it needs to be given away, and you can live in poverty. Right? But what Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes 2, is that it's okay to enjoy the fruit of your labor. It's okay to enjoy the reward. There's not space in Scripture to say that you have to be poor in God's eyes. God has given you the freedom and the ability to enjoy your work and to enjoy the reward. You can enjoy it in a way that praises and glorifies God, recognizing that it's a gift from Him to be able to enjoy it in the first place. But you have the other extreme. That says that Christianity and life is all about health and happiness and, and money and wealth and trying to build these things and find joy and happiness and life in these things. And the reality is, is that when, when your wealth, when your reward for your work becomes the object of your affection, when the reward for your work becomes the goal of your life, then it's no longer just something that you earn. It's no longer something that you get. Now it's the thing that you worship. And when, when your money, when your paycheck, when your reward and the things that you can buy with it, when those things become the goal of your life, you are no longer living in a way that glorifies and honors and pleases God because now those things are the thing that you worship. Those things are the object of your affection. Those things are the things that, that, that captivate your mind and drive your life. 
And so we have to avoid the other extreme. And the, the rest is this gray area in the middle where we find the balance of enjoying the things that God has given us, where we, where we praise him and glorify him and honor him with the way that we enjoy the gift of work and the gift of the reward that we get for hard work. We can enjoy those things while also using 100% of what we have to glorify and honor and praise him by taking the gospel overseas, by taking the gospel to our community, by reaching out to people in need, by helping them, by serving them, by using our resources in a, in a way that expands the kingdom. Right? Within that gray area, there's this great big balance, and I can't tell you what it is for you. I can't tell you what percent of your money you should give away. I can't tell you what percent of the money you should enjoy for yourself. I can't tell you what that percentage is because the Bible doesn't give it. Because the, the, the perspective is not that you need to find the right percentage. The perspective is that you are fixing your eyes on Jesus. You have a relationship with the Lord. And out of that relationship, you are enjoying things for his glory and honor and praise. And you are using your resources for his glory, honor, and praise. Like That's the perspective. I know some people who are incredibly wealthy. They have a lot of, they have a, a, a massive amount of property, they have extra houses, they have, they have extra cars, and the reason that they have, or part of the reason that they have these extra houses and these extra cars is so they can give them away to people who, can, uh, who need to use them. Like people who don't have a ride, they can lend the car to them for any amount of time, or people who don't have a place to stay, they can lend the house to them for, for any amount of time, and they still enjoy those things, right? They still, uh, they, they still have families over, they take vacations in these homes, they enjoy these things, but they bought these things for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God, for, for, for serving other people and meeting people's needs. So that's the way that they find that balance is by enjoying these things, but also using them for the glory of God. I also know people who, who give away the vast majority of the money that they make. And they live as simply as they can. To, uh, they, they don't enjoy a lot of extravagances. They don't enjoy a lot of uh, nice meals and nice things. They, they live as simply as they can to be able to give as much away as possible, to be as generous as possible. And, you know, and that's how they strike that balance. Where, where they're not trying to be impoverished. They're making financial, good financial decisions. But at the same time, they are giving away as much as they can to be as generous as they can. And you know the thing about people in both of those groups? They both have joy. Because the object of their affection is the Lord. The aim of their life is, is their relationship with him, to find grace and peace and life with him. And so the source of their joy is nothing in this world. The source of their joy is the Lord. And they are living in a way that is consistent with their faith and their walk in him. So for you this morning, my prayer for you and my goal for you and what God wants for you is that your joy will be complete, that you'll have full, 100% complete joy. And the way that you can do that is in the Lord. So my prayer for you is that we will be a group of people who have our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, living for eternity today, and that we would, we would enjoy and employ our resources in a way that glorifies God and praises him so that we as a people will lift up the name of Jesus in our world and we will be people who can, it is obvious that we have joy in the Lord and not just joy today, but joy that is eternal. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the joy that is found in a relationship with you. God, I thank you that you're a God of joy, that you want us to be joy-filled, God, that you are willing to pour out joy upon us to give us joy. 
God, that you chose to save us sinners and rebels against you because you wanted us to experience your joy. You wanted to fill us up with the wisdom and knowledge and joy that you provide to those who are in a relationship with you. So God, I thank you for the joy that we can find in you. I pray, Father, that we would be people who find our joy in you. That we wouldn't be people who ultimately seek joy and satisfaction in life and the things of the world, but God, that we would recognize that our joy comes from you. God, I pray that we would enjoy our work and we would enjoy the reward for our work and we would employ the reward for our work in a way that glorifies and honors and praises you, recognizing that it's all a gift from you. It's all yours anyways, and it's all for your glory and honor and praise, and we will have our greatest joy when we're living in a way that glorifies and honors and praises you. So I pray, Father, that this will be a church of people who have our eyes fixed on you, and that we will be a church of people who are living out our faith and our relationship with you so that we will be a people filled with joy. Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who does not know you and doesn't know the joy of a relationship with you, God, I pray that this morning would be the morning that they they enter into that relationship with you, that they place their faith and hope and trust in Jesus and know the joy of a relationship with you. Father, we love you and praise you, and it's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.